0: And Welcome to Impacting the Classroom, the podcast that talks about big topics that have an even bigger impact in early education. I'm your host, Marnetta Larimer. The last time you heard from me, I was hosting a live recording at the Interact Class Summit in Miami. I'm back and feeling super energized and reflecting on the atmosphere that's generated by all who attended. I remember the first day and walking into the room for lunch where there were table topics to choose from to help get conversations started. Of course, I was looking for my favorite topic, (laughs) true crime, as those conversations are always very interesting to me. As I sat down, though, I realized that they weren't talking about the table topic at all. So I got to spend my lunch listening to the stories of the impact of the work being done in our field across the world and, cherry on top, how class contributed to those desired organizational outcomes. In fact, I even picked up a couple of friends on the way. Our guests joined us at Interact as well. And after hearing from them, I had to get them on the podcast to dig a little deeper. So what's impacting the classroom? Today, we're talking specifically about the challenges facing educators and children in special needs classrooms. We'll also hear about some strategies to better support them. Joining us today is an amazing team from Fairfax County Public Schools in Virginia. I'm really looking forward to digging into your strategies for addressing bias and improving interactions in your program. But first, I want to learn a little more about yourself and your roles. Please help me welcome Jess Schuhart, Cindy Sixby, and Christy Johnson. Ladies, can you take turns and tell us a little bit about yourself and your roles?
1: Hi, my name is Christy Johnson, and I'm from Fairfax County Public Schools in Northern Virginia and excited to be here. My role is to serve early childhood special education teachers and our early childhood programs. That's children two to five years old, and those are in uh, self-contained special education classrooms, as well as inclusion within our pre-K and our community settings. And so we work with those teachers and are excited to be here and We're currently working using class in our classrooms with two-thirds of our staff, which is over 100 teachers.
0: Thank you.
2: Hi, I am Jess Shuhart, and I'm also an early childhood special education coach, along with Christy and Cindy. So I, I serve the same teachers and students, and we're really excited to be here to share about our teachers and how they're implementing class. And we look forward to working with them.
3: Hi, I'm Cindy Sigsby. I am also an early childhood special education coach. Just as Chrissy and Jess kind of introduced themselves, I do the same thing that they do.
0: (laughs) Short and sweet. (laughs) Yep. Let's let's get into why we're here. I can't wait to talk about this topic more in depth because it is a a discussion, you know, especially when you're using class um, and how to successfully do that in these types of settings. So before you tell us more about how you rolled out class to your special education teachers, let's back up a little bit. What challenges were you anticipating with your team?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Like we said, so we serve children uh, with all types of disabilities and ages from two to five. Um, And I think we had a lot of hesitation from our teachers and even some from the coaching side of things as well of what it would look like. And then as we thought more about whether we're in general ed or special ed, we have different levels of income, differing abilities, different languages. So There's always going to be questions and challenges that come up when we're rolling something new out. Is this even gonna stick around? Or is it just gonna be a, we're gonna try this and then move on. But as we, as the coaches learned more about the tool, um, some of the things that we were thinking about that the teachers might come back with is, is this appropriate for a special education setting? Um, what is the tool? Is it appropriate? Uh, Do the observers understand our classrooms, right? Because we have a lot of different um, strategies that we use uh, students that present with various uh, abilities or disabilities, and would they understand if if an external is coming in and and what that classroom looks like? And what everyone thought was, we don't have time for one more thing, right? We're asking our teachers to commit to quite a bit uh, between the uh, observations and the feedbacks and the cohorts, which we'll get into a little bit later. So those were some of the things that I think all of our coaches were uh, thinking that might come up. Christy and Jess, I know you guys heard some similar things. Was there anything that you wanted to add it on onto that? I think as anytime we roll something out with our staff, we're always trying to have the teacher's
1: mindset. And many of us were teachers before coaches. And as adult learners, you don't want something happening to you, you want it happening with you. And so it's how do we share this tool with the staff? So It's something that they see. It's something that supports them versus extra work. And also, as an adult learner, you want to know why is it happening, what is it, and how is it going to be implemented? And so those were the things that were forefront in our mind when we started sharing with the teachers. So that involved teaching them about the tool itself through different opportunities, asynchronous and in-person, and also um, thinking about how to let them know that it was a state initiative, and then also how we were going to do it. And as we got into that work, the teachers gave us more information about things that we needed to address that hadn't come to our minds yet.
0: Okay. Um, Jess, did you have anything to add?
2: No, I think the coaches hit on that perfectly. It's Christy and Cindy We were expecting pushback. There are things that are rolled out every year, and sometimes they don't stick around, especially for our teachers that have been there a long time. And with every teacher, there's so much on their plate. When we talk about special ed, the paperwork that's involved um, in the IEP meetings and things like that, but general ed teachers too, there's a lot. So looking at how are we going to fit in one more thing? What do we have to go to a training for? Um, We were definitely anticipating that. And um, just kind of saying like, okay, well, let's, let's start it. Let's figure it out. And let's hear what they actually think instead of making those assumptions. And some of that was correct. (laughs) Our (laughs) assumptions were correct. Um, And sometimes we were surprised. So (laughs) I
0: was just gonna say, I have some questions, but I think I want to wait because I think they will be better fitted depending on how my next question goes. So (laughs) what did you want to ask? What did you want to add, Cindy?
3: I was just going to say I was going to tag on to that as we anticipated a lot of these things, like Jess was saying, as we met with the teachers, whether it was for feedback sessions or just in general coaching conversations, we were able to engage in some of that active listening to address those questions and concerns. And that helped us continue to address those biases kind of throughout the year, even as we're wrapping up the spring observations and feedbacks now we now know how we can better support them moving forward and thinking about all of our new teachers coming into our program of what we wanna put in place uh, for them too, to set them up for, for success.
0: That's a great segue to my next question. Can you tell us more about your framework for addressing bias?
2: Yeah, so we there's a training on TeachStone actually, and it's to support observers going into the special ed setting. And we actually adopted that framework, that same framework, and we used it with our teachers. And what that looks at is acknowledging bias. So, you know, an inclination for or against a tool, a person, what have you. Um, And in this class, in this case, it was the tool, class. And then learning strategies and applying those strategies. So when we really looked at it with acknowledging a bias, as special educators know, behavior is communication. So these teachers, the way they were feeling, there was a reason behind it, and we needed to get to the why. To help them, it would have been really easy, Virginia. This is a mandate. It would have been easy, you know, when a teacher said, "I don't have time for this." To say, "Well, it's a mandate. This is this is what it is. This is what we're going to do." But like Christy shared a minute ago, adult learners, you need to kind of step into their shoes and to see how they're feeling and to try to acknowledge the why behind it um, and to talk it through with them. And so when we talked about a couple of things like. Um, Is this appropriate for our setting or is this worth our time? The why behind that is really looking at, you know, is this appropriate for our setting, meaning we need to know more about the tool. We need to know more about the tool and how to implement it and how it's used in our classrooms. And when we look at is it worth our time, teachers are fantastic and they will do anything, time or not, if it has a positive impact on their students and on their classrooms and their teaching, they'll make time for it. But So we needed to look at that and then we needed to take strategies, not only to support them, but for them to learn strategies that they can start applying to overcome those feelings and those whys behind the bias. And, you know, for instance, when we talk about, is this worth my time? We needed to come up with some strategies and to help them learn some strategies, to see the impact so that they could say, hey, this is worth my time. I mean, us as coaches, the trainings that we were doing for them, we need to look at making it worth their time. So giving them time within those trainings to reflect and to plan with their peers and to leave those trainings with a strategy that they can apply that day. Rather than it being one more thing, it was embedded into we can use this right now this training was worth my time because it was applicable right away and it gave me a chance to learn how to apply these skills and to see the impact.
0: I love that. I think what there's lots of things that I enjoyed about what you said, but I think the key thing was yes, you could have said do this because it's a mandate, it's a requirement, right? But then that's the difference between performative actions right and intentional movement and so answering those questions for them and providing that space for them and that training to answer those questions for them made it more intentional and they were able to see the impact and it wasn't just a thing they were like check I'm meeting you know doing what they told me to do Um, they really saw (laughs) and leaned into that work in a different way
2: and I said a lot so Cindy or Christy (laughs) if you want to tag on there feel free I think what
1: What Jess was sharing, I think when we were looking at how to address that bias and that framework of acknowledging and then learning and then applying those, we looked at that from many different ways. We did that on an individual basis when we were providing feedback to a teacher after an observation. It wasn't just to give them a score or to tell them what they did or didn't do or what to grow in. It was for many of our staff, they were new to the tool. So it was ask me questions, ask me, ask me what that domain or dimension means. What is it looking for? What evidence did you see? And then what would that look like if you saw that same activity? And I applied more of this dimension to it. And so we did it at that individual level in our individual feedback meetings, which were followed up by setting goals. But we also did in the larger group because as we came out of those, that helped us plan our group cohorts which is group coaching. And we actually took some models from, uh, I wanna get sure, get the letters right, NCPMI, the pyramid model, the National Council. But it talks about a lot of group coaching and we use those resources to develop group coaching that wasn't us as experts telling them what to do. We actually invited them into being class observers. We would look at a dimension very closely and then we would talk about what the indicators were. And then they would watch a video and be the observers themselves so that they had an opportunity to look for those markers and see what it looked like in action. And then we would come back together and talk. And as we went through that process, we started with using the Teach Jones videos, which were wonderful, but sometimes the the feedback we would get from teachers are, this doesn't look like our classroom. Some of we have more nonverbal students or different abilities in our room. So teachers started volunteering and we asked for videos from their own classrooms. And so then they were giving each other feedback and then problem solving, like it doesn't work in my room and we would talk about ways. So we really looked at many different ways to address those biases and to make it as Jess was sharing something they could take back immediately and put into practice and be experts and learn from one another, not versus it happening to them, but with them. And that was a really, as you said, when you want an intentional move, uh, you have to involve the group.
0: So, what I heard you saying is in answer to one of the questions that they had before, right? Do observers understand our classroom? So you really had them step into that to help them to understand from an observer's perspective, what those behaviors are, what they look like in the classroom. So they, that answered their question. Yes. Yes. The observers do understand (laughs) your classroom and what to look for and how to weigh those behaviors and all of those wonderful things that come with a class observation. Cindy, I don't want to, I feel like I cut you off. No, I'm so, good. <laughs> you were talking a lot about strategies, right, around um, addressing bias. And but what are some of those strategies? You know, people who are listening would want to hear <laughs> what some of those strategies were.
2: Yeah, um, so we can touch. I, and I know um, Christy mentioned the cohorts. And I think we'll get a, a chance to share a little bit about that. But the strategies were directly related to what we were hearing from them. Right. So we're we're active listeners. And that's the biggest piece is that it's really hard. And it was hard for me as a as a coach not to give all the answers um, and to say, like, this is what you need to do. This is how what it looks for. But just take a step back and being and saying, like, how are you feeling about the observation? How are you feeling about your feedback report? And in that you heard we started to hear what you know biases and challenges were coming out and so based on that we tried so many different methods we had informal check-ins like they selected a goal and we that they wanted to work on and we checked in on that we did trainings on like the foundations of the dimensions um, and looking at that we did the feedback sessions which were a huge part of it it wasn't just observation and leave it was Let's sit down for a feedback session where we really go through this together and you can say whatever you want. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be all positive. We will absorb that and we will help you see, you know, what's happening already in your room and how we can enhance it and what the tool looks for and what, let's look at the manual and what we're talking about with like consistency or depth. But then we, we surveyed the teachers and we said, what? Out of all the methods that we tried and that we implemented with you, what worked best? And three of them kind of rose to the top there. Um, They were the highest ranked out of our survey. And that was really, Christy hit on it a little bit. It was the feedback session, not just, hey, here's here's your report by, but getting a chance to sit down with a coach and really talk that through. Um, And then it was also the cohorts, and we can talk about that a little bit more in depth. And in those cohorts, it was the videos with their peers, and those were a lot of the strategies that we did with them to help them overcome those biases and give them different strategies um, that they learned together as experts to start applying and to start seeing that impact.
0: Wonderful. I keep hearing cohort groups, I, so I kind of want to <laughs> get into that a little deeper. You've talked some throughout our time together about some of the ways that you created buy-in with your staff. Let's talk about some other activities that you did to foster a strong culture of improvement. And I'm sure the cohort groups fall into that, right? Along with some other things. So let's talk about that.
1: I think to support that buy-in is As you're giving feedback in those sessions, you're highlighting the things they're doing really well. And when you point out to a teacher exactly the moment in time in the classroom, what was happening, and then how during that one activity, how many parts of the class tool when it looks at those teacher-child interactions that it can hit on, and and the idea of that when you use an open-ended question, it moves into so many places, You're, you're getting Uh, regard for student perspective as you're getting them to express themselves you're giving an opportunity also to possibly have some concept development if it involves comparisons or analysis and you also naturally get into a feedback loop just by asking that open-ended question and even if our students maybe don't have as many skills to have that back and forth exchange just putting that into the space got them excited and teachers said they were always surprised. And that was another part of the buy in when they would try a technique, like, I'm not sure my kids can do that. They'd ask an open ended question and they would almost every time come back and be like, so and so super surprised me today. Like, I hadn't thought to ask that level of question. And they showed me, like, even if they didn't have language, our children are constantly communicating with us through gestures and sign language and a, a, a the augmentative communication systems, and verbally, even if they just want, use one or two words. And that's not unique to us in special education. That's also across our pre-K programs, any of our programs. We have so many languages. Fairfax County has many languages in our classroom. English is a second language for many um, children. And so I think some of the buy-in was as we met with them individually and they set goals and they started using some of those techniques they weren't against them. They they knew it was good teaching. I mean, they're aware of that, but when they put it into the environment intentionally, the feedback they got from the students really sent the buy-in up so much higher. And for teachers who maybe weren't getting that same response or were expecting it to look like the more advanced students in the Teach Dome videos when we met together, and we'd say that is an example of a feedback loop with a nonverbal student. They got really excited. And it also, for some of our newest teachers, it was an opportunity to see what it looks like. Um, yeah. we're, we're we're in a time period right now in the state and across the country of so many new teachers coming into the field during the COVID pandemic and afterwards that have had not maybe not as many experience with students as in the past for that pre-training. And so it just made a difference for them to see it in action and then try it out. Um, so I think that speaks to some of the buy-in. I think the hearing each other as experts. And you you did ask what other strategies. Please know that we tried many. Uh, Even in our feedback loop, uh, in our feedback sessions, we used a tool called No See Do, and we had taken that straight from one of the AEII resources. And so we're constantly looking at Teachstone and the state of Virginia for really great resources they have around coaching and with that, we set all kinds of goals and we'd spend a lot of time on those reports and put videos in for them to see and articles for them to read and reflective questions. <laughs> and when we did our survey, it was really important because we put a lot of time into that and we found out that teachers were too busy to look at it. And so we had to figure out other ways to take those resources that we were putting on a document that people were not reading as much and incorporate them into our group sessions or into our, our informal sessions. And so it's so important to ask the teachers what's working from for you as you try many things, because you don't want to use your time ineffectively.
3: Yeah, and I'll jump in there too. The The schools that I am working with this year have a lot of new teachers, whether they're brand new, fresh out of college, whether they're teachers in residence, whether they are new to preschool special ed, maybe they have experienced K-12. And one of the things that we talked about was how to help support our instructional assistants as well. because. The timing of the schedules, they, they work their full day, and so they don't get the same planning time with their teachers or the training times with our teachers. And so something I did with some of my teams was use some of those teacher work days to go through some of those teach-tone trainings, like the, the using instructional support, the 10, 15 minutes on repetition and extension, mm-hmm. open-ended questions, self and parallel talk. And we use some of those just to guide those discussions. And I would, you know, pull up pictures from my old classroom and say, you know, what's an open-ended question you could ask during this activity to try to make it a little bit more meaningful and applicable to them. Because a lot of times, and again, we we don't want it to be an evaluative thing uh, in the classroom, but we want it to be that growth tool because that's what it is. And one of the teachers I was with the other day, I've been working a lot with her. She's got a really hard kiddo in her classroom with a lot of social emotional behavioral needs. And when she was getting observed, I was next door observing the other teacher and I could hear this kiddo just having a really tough day. (laughs) And I felt for her. Right. Because I've been in there so much working with her. And she she came in the room and asked for something and said, I'm having a lovely observation. And I said the teacher's name. I said. It's all about the interactions. Your sensitivity is going to show up in so many other areas. It's not how necessarily the kid is struggling that day, but are you being sensitive? Are you regarding her perspective? And she was. And when she got her scores, again, we try not to focus on the numbers too much, but she was like, oh my gosh, I thought I tanked it. I thought I bombed it. And it was like, no, good. Because the tool really does look at those quality interactions. And when our teachers are being empathetic towards those learners that are having a tougher time, it's going to show, and it's going to show their growth in that too. So I was really encouraged by that as well.
0: Oh, that was inspiring. Yeah. Oftentimes when you get an observation, they, they there's this expectation of perfection and, you know, no, we expect that things are going to happen. It's about what you do in those moments and what do you do with those moments that we're looking at. That's, that's what's captured with you know the class tool. Not we expect the children. To, like I think I would be unnerved if I went into a classroom and nothing. Like I, I think I'd be freaked out. Nothing's happening. Like, there's <laughs> no idea. Like, what's going on here? Yeah, I would probably be more freaked out about that. But you know, let somebody mm-hmm. throw something or whatever. Then I'm comfortable. That's that's a normal, <laughs>
3: a normal preschool classroom for me. Hey, class observers, are you looking to improve your skills when serving children with disabilities? then we have the right training for you. Introducing Class Observation Support, Settings Serving Children with Disabilities. An online or virtually facilitated training designed specifically to help you understand and observe effective interactions in this unique setting. In just two hours, you'll learn how to recognize and reduce bias related to working with children with disabilities. And you'll discover best practices for observing in these settings. So if you're ready to increase your confidence and become a more effective observer, head to teachstone.com backslash class observation supports and sign up today.
0: You talked some about this through our conversations about, you know, the cohorts and how you rolled out like the bias. Tell me about the teachers and how they felt through the entire rollout, right? So we have this apprehension in the beginning, right? What did that look like as you moved forward?
2: Yeah, so, you know, teachers are individuals, right? So it looked a little differently for everyone. And when we look at, you know, cohorts, I think that it really helped with the process because what it was was groups of peers that we brought together um, once a month throughout from between the fall and the spring observation cycle And they got to learn together. And so our first cohort, it was a lot about what was the tool and the foundations of it and things like that. And two of our other coaches, uh, Lady and Erin, are wonderful. And they actually took the lead on creating these cohorts. And what they did after that first session was they actually changed it a little bit to where the teachers were more of the experts in the seat to say, hey, how are you already doing this in your room? How could you enhance it? And like, let's watch videos of each other doing it and give each other supportive and constructive feedback. And I think seeing someone else do these things that you weren't sure was possible and seeing them do it with similar populations and then getting a chance to talk about it and to say, like, hey, how did you even do that? Or how did she do this? Or what could you do in your room? And it jump started just that reflection and that brainstorming, and like, what could we do in our room? And I think that really helped with the process. You know, rather than someone who knows the tool like us standing up there and saying, this is what it is, da 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 da, like they got a chance to talk together and to learn it together and to really do that reflection piece. I will say, I'll let Cindy and Christy jump in. Like for me, has every teacher that I personally coach fully bought in? No, <laughs> you know, like like anything, like it is not, you know, all puppies and rainbows. Right. <laughs> we still, right. We still have challenges and a lot of those concerns are valid. And it's it's learning more about it and working through it and meeting teachers kind of where they are And I did have a teacher share. They know that we met for the spring feedback. And she said, because she was really anxious about it. And she said, I so appreciate that you didn't shove this tool down my throat, even though it was your job. Like your job was to teach me this, but you didn't shove it down my throat. And you kind of let me go at my own pace. And you stopped the feedback session when I was overwhelmed and she's like, I learned a lot in those cohort groups from the other teachers. And I came back to the positive from our first observation. And that helped her through the process. So it really is realizing that everyone's an individual, but that also, hey, five teachers took this and ran with it and did amazing this year. And they their kids are doing more. Than what they thought was possible. That's their words, and that's amazing. It's is it, eighteen that I work with? No, but that's okay. (laughs) You know, so we're seeing positive changes, and I'll let Cindy and Christy jump in there as well. But
0: before they talk, I do Mm -hmm. want to just recognize this parallel process that you have going on right so (laughs) not only helping them understand class what those behaviors look like in the classroom you're also being a sensitive coach as well right you're recognizing oh we need to (laughs) you're having a hard time here let's let's change what we're doing right now and abandon this thing and let's shift into something else and that also helps to support buy-in right because they see it and feel it right it's So again, it's not something happening to them. It's something that's happening with them. And your interactions are reinforcing those things that, you know, you're hoping are happening in the classroom. So I just wanted to point that out. (laughs) That's all I heard and what what you were
2: talking (laughs) about. Thank you. And we do say that sometimes the parallel lens, like regard for teacher perspective and teacher sensitivity. I always try to put myself in other people's shoes, especially our veteran teachers to say, hey, I've been teaching a certain way for 20 years. And in my heart of hearts, I know that I've helped students grow and I've helped students thrive. And now someone's coming in and telling and giving me a score and it's lower than what I believe to be. And these are wonderful teachers. So to take that perspective and say, you are a wonderful teacher and like, let's work through about learning this tool, even though it's different than what you've ever known, and so that's something t- that's, that's a big challenge that doesn't happen in one year. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going
3: to jump in. So this is my first year as a coach. So I was just in the classroom last year. And I'm grateful for that perspective. Cause I think I can have a little bit of that empathy of, I get it. Like, I know what it's like day to day. And it's very fresh on my mind. And a lot of times when I think of concept development, oh, well, I did this. Well, it's like, yeah, but I didn't do that every day. Like, right. let's be real. <laughs> that doesn't happen every day, but how can we increase it? But one of the teachers I was working with, she was actually one of the teachers that we interviewed, Kristen. She's been a teacher for 24 years. She's a rock solid, rock star teacher. And when I first introduced myself, I came to the school at the beginning of the year. I'm Cindy. I'm going to be your coach. She's like, I'm going to be honest. Are you just going to come in here and tell me all of the things that I'm doing wrong? Because I've been teaching for 24 years. And it was that moment of like, whoo! she's got way more experience than me, almost as many years as I've been alive. Um, you know, <laughs> and, um I loved our feedback sessions because she was so reflective. And in the video that we used at the Interact conference, she said, I think it's crazy that after 24 years of teaching, it's just bringing that why to the front of the room. And I don't remember her exact words, but the, the point of it was, I know that I'm doing a lot of this stuff, but why am I doing it? And then, okay, but then how do we do it? And then how do I increase the buy-in of the assistants in the room? She's got rock star assistants. A lot of that is because of her strong leadership in the classroom too. And so I was really encouraged by her because again, I'm walking in this you know young kid with not (laughs) as much experience, near as much experience as her, and she's already kind of coming like, "Are you going to tell me what to do? What I'm doing wrong?" And that's why I think the tool, because it is so strength based, I can say. Look at all of these things that you are doing so well. and What can we do to continue to tweak it, to enhance it, and to increase it? And she was, I think a lot of it has to do with those teachers' ability to be reflective and if we can ask those questions. And the spring feedback sessions, as we wrap up this school year, one of the questions that we've been asking our teachers is, you know, if there was one thing that you wanted to continue to next year that you've learned this year, what would it be? And when would you want to start it? What would that look like? Just to get them used to asking themselves those questions so that we can coach from a distance too as we're coaching them side by side. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really cool with Christmas with story and her, her increasing of buy-in throughout the year.
1: Yeah, I think it was important what Cindy and Jess just shared which is the idea of we wanted the teachers, you asked at the beginning, you know, how do we move teachers or where did they start and where did we move them to? And I would say they started with what is this tool? I'm not sure about it and I don't know if I have time for it. And then by the time we finished those first set of observations had feedback meetings, they were more interested, like, I'm starting to understand this tool looks at student and adult interactions and I can buy into that and I have something I'm working on. And as we move through cohorts, it allowed them to apply what would that look like in my room and how can I adjust it in my room so that it hits more students. And also for the teachers who are more experienced, it wasn't a matter if it was a new thought to them, but it may be something that as you are working through the day, you have to be intentional to do all those parts of class throughout all the part of your schedule. And so it's opening up what other parts of my day could I incorporate more concept development type comparisons? How can I just have in the front of my brain it's great to do comparisons and ask why and ask a student how did you know that i mean even that in our classrooms you're trying to get students to answer some simple wh questions sometimes you forget to ask them hey how'd you know and and they can tell you and if and if they can't tell you it tells you kind of where they are in their understanding and so i think that's another way that we move the teachers along and i think by the end of the year they were like hey, there's some parts of this tool that I really like, and I agree with these behavioral markers and that they're important in our classrooms. And as Cindy said, there's something that I've added this year that I wanna take into next year. So just increasing the intentionality and the reflection on why we're doing what in our classrooms, I think is a huge movement that this tool has allowed us this year as we've gone through this process.
0: I don't even know what to say. Like (laughs) there's been a lot of just great work happening and that has to be so fulfilling and rewarding, not just for the students and the teachers, but also for you, you know, as a group of coaches who really are trying to make this happen with all the challenges that get in the way of making and applying a new tool, (laughs) another thing um, for teachers to take on. And I say that because I don't really believe you know, class is this existence. It's not another thing. It's what we are doing all the time. Right. (laughs) So I'll say that loosely and not like, I don't mean that. So with that being said, and this journey being laid out for us, what are some of the biggest lessons that you learned and what would you do differently if you had to do it again?
3: I mean, I'll say we have already started brainstorming about what next year's support will look like, knowing that, the teachers all went through four cohorts this year, but they're all in various comfort levels within those dimensions, so to speak. So while we also want the experienced teachers in the room with some of those novice teachers, maybe the experienced teachers don't really want to sit in on another cohort about X, Y, or Z. And so how do we then receive that feedback and then move forward in thinking about that? So Maybe not a, something I would change, but like something that we're already starting to think about as we reflect ourselves on our practice and how to better better support them, again, so that it is worth their time and they can take those concrete strategies while also sharing of being that expert in the room as well. I think we had the opportunity to come to the Interact conference
1: and, and present and, and um, as you shared, having conversations with other school districts. So this is our second of a three-year rollout to a state mandate. And so we feel like we continue to grab resources and information from so many sides. But I, I think one thing that we picked up at the conference that I've definitely as a team talking about is we actually chose to do our brand new teachers last because there were so many demands on them going into the classroom first and, and all the other structures in our school system to support them as new teachers. We wanted to give them a chance to get comfortable in the room And what we heard from another school district is they actually do those teachers first and starting those cohorts sooner. We had some staffing obligations that if we were doing all those observations, it was hard to also be running cohorts at the same time. So they were actually sandwiched between our fall and our spring. But we're looking at next year of how to have those cohorts from the first month on and how to um, support those new teachers first. Not so that they get a low score and say, whoop, you got a low score, but just to Just get one under their belt and say, now let's look at some intentional actions that you might want to bring into your classroom to support them. And then um, that school system does their more experienced teachers who maybe didn't score as high. And then the next phase and then their last phase are their teachers that are doing really well with the intention of using this as a growth tool. We need to support where the growth needs to happen the most. So that was an amazing takeaway that I had from the conference and sharing ideas. And I think it's very important. Um, through your podcasts and different opportunities and looking at Teachstone, what's being um, brought out because as more school systems, just as we're early childhood and we're taking it on, you all have been very open to us saying, hey, can we look at more videos that have more diversity and and, and skill level uh, across them? And also what resources you had already created, the one about how to observe in a specialized setting, all those support our work. And I think it just helps all of us truly make class what you said. It's not something extra, it's what we do how do we make it across all education and early childhood?
2: Whew. <laughs> that was such good information shared. And I agree with um, Cindy and Christy on everything they shared. I'd say, you know, personally looking at this and rolling it out with teachers, and we're going to have a lot more teachers um, being class observed next year. Something that I learned this year taking forward and from the other coaches is that I was an advice giver and recovering, you know, people pleaser here. And I'm, you know, you know, everybody's a unique individual. You say that, but like, you don't really know that everyone is a unique individual until you sit down with each teacher and a plan that you had in your head and that went this way for this teacher does not work with that second teacher So not going in and saying like, I want to tell her and I say her because I don't think I saw any men uh, this year, but I want to tell her this and I want to tell her the positives and I want to go on this and it doesn't work that way. And so being able to sit down and have more of those coaching conversations, which the other five coaches helped me with being like, how do you, how do you feel about this? What questions do you have? Tell me what's on your mind. And active listening, because when you're in, when you're in that advice giving mode in your head, you're thinking about what you want to say to address that. And you, you can't do that. You really have to sit and say like, what are they trying to tell me? You know, how are they feeling? How can I meet them where they are? Because all of that kind of drove these trainings this year and the impact that we were able to have, or the impact that we weren't able to have, because there are some coaching sessions that I wish I could do over and they, they did not go well. And, you know, even like starting a conversation with, look, I know you have, you have a really hard group this year and the teacher interrupting and being like, oh, that means I did horrible. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And so just to take that active listening stance. And I think a big thing that I learned this year also is veteran teachers. I think I went in thinking like, this is new to them too. Like they're a veteran teacher, but this tool is new to them. So I'd sit down with novice teachers and I'd say like, you know, how are you feeling? Here are all the positives. And then I'd meet with a veteran teacher who like Cindy said, has more experience than I do And I'd say like, hey, here's your scores. What questions do you have? Thinking that, you know, they they didn't want their time wasted, but they really needed to hear those positives too. And they really needed that conversation because they were really having challenges with, hey, this is something new. And maybe I didn't do as well as I thought I would, or maybe I did do that well, but this tool looks at way more than we were ever supposed to do with our population and talking that through with them. So that's a long way to to say just active listening, unique individuals and to, to really go over the positives and give everybody a chance to talk, whether they're a novice teacher or a veteran teacher um, and kind of start to acknowledge their feelings and their biases. And then we can look at how we address those.
0: Thank you so much. Earlier on, there were several questions that, you know, when we were talking about the challenges that you were anticipating with your team and we answered some of them. And one of them that we didn't talk about is, is class appropriate for special education, right? You said that was one of the <laughs> questions that you know, the teachers had. What advice would you give programs who are on the fence about using class in their special, special education programs? So
1: I think what class looks at It's just good teaching, and it's that good tier one teaching and foundation for that emotional support, that organization in the classroom, and what needs to happen during instruction for all children to learn. The difference it makes is in our early childhood special ed classrooms is first, it reminds us as early childhood special educators to start at the tier one beginner level and don't start scaffolding until you put the question into the room first. We're so good at providing hints and scaffolding and accommodating and modifying. Sometimes it's that friendly reminder to back up and give the children a a chance to do it even more independently before we put so much support in front of them. Um, Also, when our classrooms have uh, needs across all areas of development, but across all levels of services, gen ed and special ed, we have a lot of children working with that social emotional needs. And so... It looks at those foundations of the teacher sensitivity, the regard for student perspective, even in the behavior management, the proactive, um, just all the things, the clear behavior expectations. It's a tool that speaks to any instructional setting, regardless of background or abilities and I think if you take that to your teachers and say, let's just look at it, let's see which of these things you value, I think they will say, oh, I do value that. that. That's not different than I value. And then it just may be a matter of because the tool is reliable, looking at what exactly is someone having to look for? And then the thinking part past that, like, yes, there's a score, but what do we really want to do? We want to increase our instruction in the classroom. So. Why is that important and what would that look like for our students? So I I think that was something I would share with anyone bringing it to their school system of it's not a gen ed tool. And I think that's important to say because even we had some of those conversations because sometimes some observers came in and maybe they had never observed in a special ed setting and they too weren't comfortable. So we've shared with different people about the resource around how to observe and settings with dual language learners or students with different abilities, because I think it just reminds you how to be a better observer. And again, it reminds you, this tool isn't unique to gen ed. It works for everyone. So this is how you look.
0: Thank you, Christy. Cindy, Jess, did you want
2: to
3: add?
2: Well said. <laughs> no, well. that Yeah, that, that was well said. Um, and I, I'd say, Cindy, or Christy, that was well said, (laughs) Um, but a lot of like being able to put that question in the room, put the wonder in the room, and then we do the scaffolding, and then we do the visuals, Um, and I know, you know, our teachers do have challenges, Uh, you know, a teacher told me yesterday, like, I can't do a lengthy feedback loop because I have to keep things going for this kid with significant behavior, but letting your teachers look at the tool, look at how they're already doing it to reflect on how they could enhance practices. And sometimes sometimes you do your best. And if you don't hit a a long feedback loop in every cycle, did we grow in other ways? And can we continue to try when we do have that opportunity or you're at a small group or you're on the floor playing with the students or what have you. But realizing like these teachers are experts at what they do, and to trust them and to give them the knowledge they need and to and to talk it through with them about what they're doing. But yes, I I'd, I'd continue to say, like Christy said, to have observers also looking at what does this look like in a special ed room? What is a feedback loop with a nonverbal student or a student using a communication device? What do transitions look like when three of the students have mobility walkers um, and different things like that?
0: Wonderful. Okay. Thank, Thank you so her. much. I okay. think that's, go ahead, Christy. Sorry.
1: Jess had said earlier you were asking, you know, another takeaway, and as Jess was talking for changes for next year is I think having maybe as Cindy said, she worked with somebody and she was probably the same age they've been teaching. So Cindy and I are peers, and we are also in that place. And so as a teacher who's been around for a long time, it is also important for all of us who are using these tools for growth to be real advocates that they remain there. And that we use curiosity and feedback from teachers experiencing it and making sure it is meeting those goals and doesn't get misused into a performative or a judgment or an evaluative Mm -hmm. and lose what it is capable of doing if teachers really feel safe to let you watch their practice and get feedback from you and grow versus feeling like they have to hide something or, you know, and as Jess said, When you're a very experienced teacher, you do know a lot, but there's we're learners. If you're not a learner as an educator, you're missing something because there's always changes. We learn from our students. We learn from research. So even if I know how to do it, show me new ways. Show me new ways because it also reignites me. You know, we have some very experienced teachers that need just some energy and reigniting, and that's what learning does.
0: Thank you, Christy. We're wrapping up our time, but what I'd like is, like, one teacher quote, right? You've gone through these cohorts, right? You've had these outcomes. Um, We shared a couple of tidbits, but if each of you could give me one of your favorite teacher quotes before we head out, it would be great.
3: Let me look up our uh, presentation because we have some (laughs) at the end there.
1: I, I think while they're the looking it. for it, and one I would share is a very experienced teacher who's taught at many levels and has just joined us at the preschool level, but she's worked with adults with disabilities. So she's very excited to now be with the youngest learners as she's worked with the oldest to think, what are those important skills going forward? And what I loved was when we talked about open-ended questions, she goes, oh, my job is to put the wonder in the room. And now that I put the wonder in the room, I am so excited. And I can engage with following a child's lead or their ideas because by putting the wonder in, they tell me the next direction to go. And that was super exciting for me to hear her say that because I don't have to coach her in any way that feeds itself. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And I, you know, I had a teacher who has made tremendous growth this year, like personally, and just the, with the buy-in and the process. And we were talking a little bit about like the balance of these of utilizing the skills. Well, first she had said, I would have no idea that these, these students know as much as they do um, if I didn't start um, implementing this and asking some of the questions. But what really stuck out is she said, I'm a better teacher for this and my students are better learners. And I'm actually kind of fearful or scared that they won't get this same type of teaching as they move into the upper grades, as they move into kindergarten and beyond. So that stuck with me. Like they're going to have, they have such a chance for expression and analysis and reasoning. And I just worry they won't get the same, but that was, it was huge.
3: (laughs) Thank you, Jess. Cindy. Yeah, I'm thinking back to one of the teacher interviews that I did with a teacher that I've been working with this year and she teaches our morning class, which is typically twos and three-year-olds. And she had said, so she had students last year that she has again this year. And she said they went from being majority nonverbal in in their language to now starting to use words. And she said, I think that has to do with a lot of things. I think it's just kind of the natural development and growth of the students, which is, but I really do think a lot of it is class and what we've been begun to intentionally implement from class. So that was really cool for me as a coach to hear too. Of uh, they are seeing improved interactions and growth in their room from the teachers, from the assistants, from the students, and then even even the parents as they continue to have the little kiddos at home and, and seeing their language growth.
0: If that doesn't like say success, I don't know what what does. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you so much, Christy, Cindy, and Jess, and the entire Fairfax County Public Schools team for sharing your stories with us today. You can find today's episode and transcript on our website, teachstone.com slash podcast. And as always, behind great leading and teaching are powerful interactions. Let's build that culture together. Thank you so much. You guys did so great. It was wonderful talking to you.